This episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast was recorded in Toowoomba on the lands of the Gable and Jarrawa people. We'd like to extend our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I struggled with that one. I remember ringing Dad that night and saying this is telling him, he said, son, does it hurt? And I said, well, he said, you know, does it really tough for you? And I said, yes, he says, good. The moment it's not, then you've got to find something else to do. He said, this is tough and this is what management's all about. You've got to look after the people the best you can. G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and it really is starting to feel like a bit of a novelty that I can say that this episode is another one from on the road. Our next guest is Stephen O'Brien. He's the current CEO of Morton Co. This chat actually felt a little bit like a reverse job interview as I got to pick his brain, learn a little bit more about his story where he sees Morton Co. going, and finally, what his advice was for some people considering a career in agriculture. But Stephen's story begins as one of nine children. I know, I was blown away as well. He had dreams of being a professional rugby player before it was even a thing, and by his account, it sounded like he certainly spent a fair bit of time focusing on that at school. After finishing school, Stephen pursued an apprenticeship and subsequently, under the recommendation of his parents, headed overseas to experience more of the world. He's always had bigger aspirations and with love of people, at the age of 26 decided he'd put pause on his traineeship and head off to get further education. He's certainly never been afraid to move in order to build his career and had seen him traverse Australia as well as head overseas internationally. Stephen has really built a career as a business leader and someone who I was really interested to hear a whole lot more about from flour milling to farming to now working as the CEO of Morton Co and a few of the different projects they're on. So I hope you guys enjoy this chat and would love to hear any feedback you've got on this episode. Well, I think like your background is really interesting for what I've read about you, Stephen. You started off or you've got a huge history um, in milling and, and baking. Yes, yes. Well, the family has. And um, I suppose I started my career as, a, as an apprentice fitter and turner. Straight out of school, I, I did start an apprenticeship and went through that, um, a small business called Ron Steel Fabrication. And they did a lot of fabricating. Um, and part of that was a bakery, um, bakery machinery and, and racking and those internal logistical products that um, you see in everyday bakery. Um, and then from there, I, uh, once I, I finished that, I, my mother and father always had this belief, once you were qualified in something, we should go overseas. So I'm one of nine children in my family. Wow. And so, you know, those that did degrees or those that did uh, trades, immediately they finished, they went overseas to experience real world, real life. Um, so I went to the UK for 12 months and worked over there as a detail fitter in the UK and uh, came back and realised... I probably realised during my apprenticeship it wasn't for me. Um, but stuck through it and, and became a tradesman and worked for 12 to 18 months as a tradesman. And then there's, there's an opportunity at Defiance Flour Mills, which was um, founded by my great-grandfather um, in, I think, 1897. Um, and there was an opportunity as a trainee in that business. So I, I joined Defiance as a trainee operations coordinator which meant that I, I understood and I, I worked within the operations from the uh, end of production right through to getting the product through to the customer. So that whole distribution, logistics, stock controlling, yeah. 
And that was the first I really got to understand that whole supply chain uh, and the importance of the supply chain. A lot of my, my mates and you know, some of my family had sort of started degrees or started a career with a degree, whether it be law or food technology. So I decided at the age of 26 that I would go to university. And so I looked around and I, I decided Toowoomba was probably best for me because it was, I was able to get uh, a job as a house father up at the local boarding school, which was free accommodation, free food. And I did a degree in um, commerce, majoring in operations and, um, and HR. It was allowing me to get a degree in three years and launched me into management after that. Did you, like, that decision to go from being a, a, a qualified tradesman and then also having a, quite a good position in defiance, was it a hard decision to decide to go back to university? Well, I didn't have a great position. I was a trainee. So, no, I, I, always, I always wanted to get qualified, get a qualification. I didn't know what it was. And, you know, at school you, you go through different phases of, well, I want to be a... I want to be an engineer. I think I want to be a, um, a vet at one stage. I, um, I want to be a policeman. So um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just knew that I, I didn't like the schoolwork. I was there to play rugby and play cricket and, and you know, have great mates. And, um, and I achieved all of those, but schooling wasn't important to me then. So it wasn't until I got to 24, 25 that I, you know, I, I decided, well, you know what, I do need to get qualified. So it wasn't such a hard decision. I, th- I suppose the toughest was going back and and, and you know, having to, to go to a school with kids that were probably, in some cases, 10 years younger than I was. Yep. Um, and we had different motivations to be at uni. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. What do you reckon, like, your passions were outside of sport? Are there passions that you, you think you had as a, as a kid which have followed you through to where you are now? You know, coming from a large family, which I did... Um, and there were seven boys in the family. Um, you know, there was always that teamwork. It was always that we did things together, that we looked after each other. And that became very prominent in how I, you know, at school, I went to a boarding school in Brisbane. And again, it was very much your mates, you look after your mates, your mates look after you. So it was that, that teamwork, that, that ability to, to work as a team and make sure that my success could only be achieved if everyone was successful. And I suppose that's what led me into my style of management and, and wanting to, to manage businesses and manage teams. Can you talk me through so the early days and some of those early roles you've had? Because you've moved through it's an incredible career going from a, a, a tradesman then back to uni and then into listed private businesses. You, you've had a hell of a career. It's been exciting. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm lucky I, I married um, someone who was willing to travel and to take the challenges, because it's not only my challenges, but it was our challenges, um, where we went. So I met my wife here at university in Toowoomba. Um, soon after I finished, we went to Port Macquarie, and that was my first, that was my first position in Port Macquarie to be in charge of a, a bottom line, uh, a P&L. Um, and although I did report through a, a general manager at that stage, but... After about 12 months, I was then transferred to Mount Isa to run a small bakery in Mount Isa. Um, and that was, that was the first time that I ran a whole business that, you know, it was only a small business and, um, you know, we didn't have the skills as you don't get in Mount Isa for, for 
bakery managers. So some of the things that we had to do there, we wouldn't do in a, in a regional, in a, in a city. Um, you know, I was, you know, the fitter and turner, so I was the maintenance guy, I was the salesman, I was the, uh, the accountant, the financial controller of this small bakery. Um, and it was a turnaround. The bakery wasn't performing, so we had to get it to perform well to make money. But we looked after the Mount Isa, so you became part of the community. Uh, from there, I got uh, promoted to go to Darwin to run the, uh, a larger bakery in Darwin that looked after the, the, the Northern Territory and into the Western Australian market, uh, distributing manu- manufacturing bread and distributing it through a larger bakery. And that sort of allowed me to really understand that, you know, making sure the people worked as a team. We had a, a goal every day to achieve. And um, Defiance was then, so the company I worked for was, was Defiance Flour Mills. It was then taken over and I decided to take an opportunity. I was headhunted by a company called, uh, it was KIOF at that stage, which became Paul's Milk, mm-hmm. that then became Parmalat. Um, I was headhunted to, uh, to join their business in the Northern Territory. Um, they were the only bottler outside the CCA, so Coca-Cola. Yep. Um, so we bottled Coca-Cola and all the, the variety of brands in, uh, under that under Coca-Cola, as well as we did uh, juice, milk, um, Nestle ice cream. Uh, so it was a large variety of products we distributed um, throughout the Northern Territory and East Timor um, and North Queensland. Um, at one stage, well, I think even today, it's still the longest um, route for raw milk to go up to Darwin, from South Australia to Darwin. Yep. We process it and then we send it back again down as far as the Northern Territory, South Australian border. Um, so we had you know, the Coca-Cola business, the, the milk business, um, the orange juice business and the ice cream business. So there's four businesses in one uh, in the Northern Territory. And it was, again, it was not only the people that worked with me, but it was also the community that we had to, had to win over and, and, and uh, continue doing what we can to, to assist the, the community, the Darwin community. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Like with, with corporates and particularly regional communities where people can see it as being disruptive and that it's, it's nearly that, uh, yeah, are they getting too big for their boots? Um, how, how was that working for like a, a big corporation? Did people see you guys as the outsiders or did you work really hard to be support, part of it? No, we, we worked. It, it was important that we were, um, we were part of the community and that's where we got our people, that's... Um, that's where that's our market. So we were very much um, part of the community. We sponsored big events. We sponsored sports teams, small teams. We put a pro- program together, which um, was then adopted throughout our business, called the um, um, Collector Cap Program, which was collecting milk caps, where there's a value to it. And that, the purpose we did that was because deregulation was coming to the market, and we wanted to make sure that our brand didn't suffer through deregulation. Um, but that was supporting non-profit organisations in the Northern Territory. Um, so we were very much seen as being a real Northern Territory business. And the government, the Chief Minister and the Health Minister at that stage very much supported what we were doing um, and how we were doing it. And and when the Indonesians pulled out of East Timor, you know, I was in one of the, I think the second Hercules with the armed forces 
to go over to East Timor to support the armed forces by putting Coca-Cola vending machines and bringing water over because we wanted to support the armed forces because they played a big part in the Northern Territory, obviously, in Darwin. Yeah, well, wow. We wanted to be part of that, so... That's uh, quite a significant milestone to be part of. Yeah, it was. It was incredible. You know, we built a water facility over there, a bottling plant in water. I don't know if ever got off its... Um, got up, but, um, you know, Shenanan's Guzmao and I see... Um, uh, Ramos Horta is now going for president again, but he was very crucial in, in allowing us to build a water plant for the for the locals. So it was very much we were very supportive, and and that was wasn't through me. That was through um, the company itself. I'm talking Palmlat, who who were very supportive of the local community and saw our responsibility, and our obligations being part of. It does uh, interesting. I want to come back to what you're talking about with in terms of your management style and. Everything you're mentioning there is around people and the importance of people. But a question I've got for you around um, like your career. Have you, did you have a career plan or did you kind of just take it as it came? <laughs> well, I hope my kids don't listen to this because I'm always, <laughs> I'm always telling them to have a plan. But no, I, um, again, I, I was lucky that I had a, you know, my wife was so supportive of the challenges. And, and I wouldn't say risks, but challenges that we we're willing to face and face together. Um, so, you know, we went from the Northern Territory down to Melbourne and then from Melbourne to Atlanta, Georgia, wow. um, and then back to Melbourne, all with, you know, we had three kids in Darwin, another in, um, in Melbourne, so with four kids. And, you know, before mobile phones or the Google, you know, the, the only thing my wife asked me when we went from one town to the other, get a yellow pages, she wants to see what's there. You know, and she was a, she, you know, my wife Heather was, is an accountant and, you know, forgave that so that my career... Yep. To progress, um, which is just fantastic. So I was able to do that together. As a, as for a plan, no, I just I just wanted new challenges. That was my plan to to to, to take on the next challenge and, and see how that goes. How different was the like American food industry to to what we have here in Australia? It, it's similar because um, it's got the same landmass. Mm-hmm. So distribution trucks and the you know, the necessity for trucks and road transport. The difference is the population, that, you know, we're about the same uh, land mass, but, you know, they've got 300 million people, we've got 25 million people. So, um, you know, th- those large volumes were just incredible. Um, so in that, um, the American people were very supportive, very loyal to American companies. And, um, you yeah, know, we lived in Atlanta, Georgia. I worked in um, New Jersey. So it was very much, you know, we surrounded ourselves by good people who were like Aussies in many ways. How long were you over there for? Just 12 months. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Amazing. And then back home to Toowoomba? No, no, we, um, Melbourne. So we, okay. we came back to Melbourne and Melbourne was our base at that stage. Yeah. Um, I'd left Melbourne and, you know, um, 12 months earlier, a, a good job was running the Palmlat business down in the south, south of um, Australia just after deregulation. So when deregulation, they sent me down to, to make sure we are in good shape. Um, and when so I, I got that in on track, then they sent me to the US that was suffering. And about or three or four months after I got to the US, we found that the the, uh, the company was was fraudulent, the Palmolac business. And if you look at the go back in history or back to the what the early two thousands, it was a company that was declaring sales and profits that they didn't have. So. I was sent there to turn the business around and then having to put it in Chapter 11 and sell it. Yep. So it was a real experience for, for, 
for me and, you know, uh, and trying to, first of all, Chapter 11 I hadn't heard of before, which is protected bankruptcy, yep. before leaving Australia and then having to get it in Chapter 11 and then bit by bit sell it and, and, and play, you know, reduce the number of people and have those tough decisions that you, you have to have when you've got to reduce the... Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Company size. Yeah, doesn't sound fun at all. In in terms of how how did it go in terms of like your personal values and stepping into a business like that was there was it a line in the sand moment for you? It it, it was tough um, in that all of a sudden you're alone. You know, I didn't have brothers or friends or to catch up for a beer and have a have a whinge about how tough life is. And you know, I'd go home and you'd want to pretend that things were great and you were positive and yep. you know, this is almost like a holiday and means your whole insides are, are bubbling because it's there's so much happening and you know, you're wondering where you had control of the situation. Uh, I would often ring, my father was alive at that stage and I remember ringing my dad at one stage and I had to, um, I had to make a number of people redundant and it was, you know, there's one in particular that really... I struggled with because he was in his mid-50s. He knew nothing else, but he thought he was getting... Somehow the the message got... um, was wrong in what got to him. He thought he was getting an award. So he brought his family in with him and he couldn't speak English, so his son was there to interpret. And I had to tell him that he no longer had a job. And and it really... I struggled with that one. I remember ringing Dad that night and saying, this is... telling him, he said, son, does it hurt? I said, well, he said, you know, does it really tough for you? And I said, yes. He says, good. The moment it's not, then you've got to find something else to do. He said, this is tough and this is what management's all about. He said, you've got to look after the people the best you can. And that sort of struck with me. It's sort of one of those things that has kept with me yeah. all my working life is you've got to look after the people as best you can. The Humans of Agriculture podcast is proudly sponsored by LAWD. And if you're looking for an entry-level role, well, they've got an absolutely incredible opportunity for you. Joining their fast-growing team and getting direct guidance from Cole Medway, one of Australia's leading rural property agents, the role will be riding shotgun with Cole as he travels Australia marketing a diverse range of ag assets. To find out more, check out the full description and contact details in the show notes. I think that's a a really good conduit to to Morton Cole. And you mentioned that you'd You've worked in different businesses with incredible history and, and legacy behind them. Um, Morton Co is certainly one of them, and history goes back well into the 1800s. But for you, what was it that drew you to, to Morton? How did the opportunity come about? I, I think um, 
I have uh, you know, agri in my blood. My, my father was born in Toowoomba. His father was born in Toowoomba. My great-grandfather and grandmother started a business and they started Defiance Milling to look after the grain farmers because you know, the, the farmers were, um, were being ripped off by the major millers at that stage. So, so I think there was always that agri in my, in my blood. I was approached by a headhunter to see if I was interested in a job in Toowoomba. I mentioned it was Morton Co, so um, I quickly Googled and uh, saw it. So I didn't really know what um, what to expect. So I met with Charlie Mort, who um, was the managing director at that stage. Um, and it's fair to say I hit it off really well with Charlie. I just liked the style of guy he was. What you see is what you get. He was an honest fellow who was down to earth, was sincere in everything he did, and I just sort of walked away from my first meeting with him, thinking, well, what a great guy. Um, and then, you know, subsequent meetings after that and um, met some of the board and just thought, wow, these guys are, are really good, sincere people who just love what they do and respect the people they work with and, and you know, it'd be great to join us. So it was through probably Charlie that I got to be really interested. And then when I got to know more about Morton Co through my discussions, I thought, wow, what a, what a great business. Yeah, it's um, it's certainly interesting. Like I, I know of Mort through through Alice, who are like Charlie's daughter. Oh, like okay. She was actually at Marcus at a similar time. That's right. Yes, you, yes. And that was like the first kind of introduction to it. But in terms of actually, then once you start to peel back the layers, um, it's it's an incredible business. Oh, in, in unbelievable! And that you know, when you have a look at the growth, and Charlie started twenty five years this year, but it was started on just his vision of where he wanted to, to, to take it. And, and he claims even today he didn't think it was going to be as big as it is and successful as it is. But it was really done on courage, determination, um, on, on vision, where the people he's taken along, whether they be suppliers or customers or employees, you know, they, they've been taken along because of the trust and the, and the, you know, the, the culture that Morton Co. has developed from the... From day one, when when Charlie started it, it's that one of trust and honesty and looking after each other, and you know, and my job is to carry that on and, if possible, make it stronger wherever possible. Yeah, and so can you tell me a little bit more about the business and how it looks today? Well, we have um, about two hundred and fifty staff um, uh, working across the business. Um, we have our head office here in Toowoomba, and you know, we're a service provider. This reason for head office we have our IT our financial um, our meat uh, business here marketing um, human resources and I'm sure I've missed missed out on someone but anyway there's a, so and our role here as head office is to service and make the operational side successful and through our help and our direction we have uh, a Grassdale that has um, a capacity of 78,000 head or thereabouts, um, and that's about an hour and a half from, from uh, Toowoomba towards Dolby. And then we have Pine Grove, which has uh, about 9,500 head capacity. So it's a large business. We also have a number of um, backgrounding operations. We, um, we have cattle down in New South Wales. In, um, uh, so we have, you know, probably today we probably have 120,000 head spread across Queensland and New South Wales um, wow. on feed. 
at Grassdale is um, it's a large business, and we have uh, farms at both Grassdale and, and uh, which supply not only our, our feedlots, but also will you know, supply external sales if need be. At Grassdale, we'll have um, we're in the process of launching a, a new business called Grassdale Fertilizer, which converts our manure into uh, compost and also in granules, which um, is unique. It's innovative. Um, we hope to have that hit the market in uh, in April, uh, which is an ideal time. So there's um, that's a business that you know at Grassdale there we produce about a hundred thousand ton of manure every year with the cattle we've got. So yep. yeah, this is adding value to the product. So that uh, and then we're also looking at a stock feeds plant that we are looking at building, which will supply stock feeds to the market also. And is that from a are you doing that from a, a value add, from a waste reduction point of view, or is it just a, a real new opportunity to, to diversify the revenue? Oh, I think it's, it's all of the above. Um, it de- very, very much is a value add. Um, it also is a, you know, the purpose is to supply those that, um, you know, and support those that are supplying us mm-hmm. um, throughout the, you know, the supply chain. On the fertiliser is very much a, a value add, and it is you know to diversify, but also rather than just raw manure, yep. can we add value? Add value. The other thing that we have, which I didn't mention, was our farm haul, our distribution system, the Morton Co. Um, truck that we have about thirty-eight to forty prime movers that are, are moving both cattle, grain, and liquids uh, from our feedlots and to our feedlots. Wow! Um, and also they're supported by a you know a um, service centre which services the trucks both our own and, and external big operation it is yeah an exciting operation how do you stay across everything that goes on I've got great people that work with me um, it's you know I've, I've got a support team of, of leadership you know in, in our leadership team that are across most things and um, or everything and, and my job is to support them um, we have great managers, and that's that's where we're lucky, and that's where I think we've got the advantage on others is that our people are are, are just terrific and uh, so loyal, so passionate, yep. and so honest um, in what they do on a daily basis. That um, you know, I don't need to know everything. I've just got to put my trust in others to work with me. Does it still feel like a family business? Oh, without without a doubt, without a doubt. I think it's um, you know. Charlie's now the uh, executive chairman and he's probably not in here, you know, eight till five every day, but um, he's here in heart and soul and we feel his presence and, uh, you know, he's, he's very much a big part and, you know, the way, that the growth. And many people have been here for 15, 16 years and knew the business when it was very small with one feedlot. Yep. And, uh, you know, they've come along, you know, with Charlie and the growth. Is it a hard adjustment for people to, like... To make going from what started off, I won't say a small, small business, but starting off as a small business, and you've got people who really tie themselves into that fabric of what it is. Like for you as the the CEO today, is it hard to get people to adjust to like it, just how quickly the business is changing or the environment in which the business operates in is changing? I, I think it, it can be difficult, but I think if you if you bring them along the journey. Yep. Um, you let them know as early as possible where you're going and, and why you're going that way and what you need to do to get there and be successful. Yep. 
you'll find that all of a sudden they are driving, you know, the 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 um what the the direction. Yep. Um, and that's what we have. We've got great people that you know, you've got to explain where we want to go, like any business, you know, and why we want to do it and what part they play. And once they understand that, then they take off. It's yep. fantastic. Give them the reins and let them run. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask because one. One area, before we start to talk about kind of your customers and a bit more about the business at that level, but the, the beef industry has been kind of a, a beacon and kind of the scapegoat in a lot of these climate discussions and greenhouse gases. The industry itself has actually said we'll be carbon neutral by 2030, but I'd love to understand from where you guys sit in terms of, is this something that's just appeared overnight for, for the business or has it been on the agenda for a long time? And how do you guys front up and address that um this isn't new to us um you know when you look at the whole sustainability question it's it's been very much part of the fabric of morton co from day one you know make our business sustainable you know through our people through our corporate governance um so that's absolutely vital and that's been part of our success where we are today with um you know the emissions you know, every day we, we look at what we can do to improve the emissions. So although the targets, you know, have been put forward and, you know, have been established by the industry, um, we're not in any fear of that. Um, we play our game. We, we believe we're a leader in that anyway. So there's many things we're doing, many initiatives um, that we're taking yep. to, to not only be successful there but be one of the leaders in that whole sustainability that emissions... Uh, management. Do you see it as as someone who's quite innovative in terms of the businesses you've been in as a really exciting space for ag to play in? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it and it causes it makes people that have been in the in the industry for a long time to sit back and think, hang on, what do I need to do? How can we play a part in this? Do we simply go along for the ride, or do we want to take you know a front seat and really drive this? And that's where we are. Yeah. You know, we've decided. We decided some months ago, if not last year, that we're not going to take sit back and just go for the ride. We're going to actually lead this, and that's what we're doing. Yep. We're leading this whole, you know, this mission of, of being, you know, reducing our emissions. Yeah, I, I agree. I reckon it's very exciting. Where, like, if I was to, would I come across Morton Co. Um, beef, like, in Australia? Or, like, where, where do your products go to? Uh, well, we... we Sell, we distribute both domestically and internationally. So a lot of our product goes to the international market mm-hmm. through many of the Asian markets, China, uh, Taiwan, um, uh, a little bit to Japan, US, the Middle East. Um, so it's, you know, we're very, you know, very strong um, de- uh, internationally. Domestically, we, we, you know, we're in town here at a number of the restaurants. Uh, we go through a number of distributors um, where they sell to, to restaurants You'll find us at Costco um, here. Um, that's our branded meat. Um, so we, you know, we're in a lot of restaurants, from, you know, especially along the East Coast. Yeah, okay. As far as Cairns right through to Melbourne. And in, in terms of your, like, your overseas exports, we've, we've seen, like, challenges with, um, with, with exporting to China with different uh, abattoirs being banned and, and whatnot. Did that affect you guys or how do you kind of work around... Those unknowns. Um, it has affected us, yes. So there, there were uh, a number of our, our customers, the abattoirs that have been banned. Um, 
and again, that's probably one of the beauty of our business. We, we adapt really quickly. You know, we're, we're up for challenges and, and we move. So we, um, you know, some of those are still banned today that were banned 18 months ago. But we found other um, markets that were able to still have access to the Chinese market. So we didn't really miss a step. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our customers in, in, in China, for instance, are just so supportive and desperate for our product because it's so superior in quality and... Um, that, you know, they didn't lose heart in what was going on. They looked, they worked with us to find alternatives. Just just on the customer piece, like how, how engaged are they, whether it's an Australian or an overseas customer, in terms of what's happening? So if we talk about, say, emissions or, or let's say sustainability generally, like how engaged and how often are they asking you questions and or, or do you oh. guys get ahead of that? No, no, they you know, they're they're very interested. They they're keen to know. They they're keen to um, work with you know companies and are supplied by companies that absolutely focused on sustainability and and, and have you know, a, a direction. Um, so you know, I'm thinking even that the, the the smaller guys are, are very keen. They want to be able to promote. Yep. You know, because our product is their product when it, when it's either on a a plate in the restaurant or on the shelf in a shop. Yep. You know, they consider it their product too. So they want to only work with people that have the same ideals that they have and that is that we, we have to, you know, support a change. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, a question I do ask everyone, Stephen, who comes on the podcast, and it's around, well, I think generally at the moment we're seeing it is hard to get people into agriculture. I think there's more opportunities in the space than there ever has been if you look across the whole food and ag supply chain. But... If you had the chance to go back to or go into a year ten class and talk to them about why they should pursue a career in agriculture, what would be some of your advice to them? I suppose my advice to a year ten student is just don't take life too seriously. You know, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't um, do always try to do your best. You know, and the best is all you've got. Don't get stressed because the best may not get you the top marks. If you look someone in the eye, whether it be at schoolwork or be in the sporting arena or, you know, if you can look them in the eye and say, I did my best today, well, that's, that's going to, you know, you get that as a young age, that whole desire to do your best and that will take you a long way. And then follow your passion. There's people out there now who want to be in the agri, but you don't know where they're going to be. You know what, God, when I was 15, I wouldn't have a clue what, I remember what I was like when I was a 15-year-old. You know, I wanted to play professional rugby. Although it wasn't professional in those days, but <laughs> you know, um, you have these dreams, but you, you know, you and, and continue with those dreams, but find something you're passionate about, and hopefully, it is agri, yeah, because there's incredible opportunities, but it may not be, and then there might be people like me, that you know, raised in the city, that find passion in, in agri at a later age, but find your passion and just go for it, but um, you know, but. Try things, look at things, read books, you know, um, associate or, or mix with people from from an industry that you, you're passionate about. And you know, if you're a city boy, then you know, find a reason to go out and get a part time job out in the country areas to find out if this is what I want. Yeah, because it is. There's an incredible opportunity, and you know, we're looking, we're screaming for people, as most of regional Australia are. We're looking for great people to come on board. Where we've got 250 great people. Yeah, but in in three or four years' time, we'll need four hundred great people. So you know, there's 150 roles that we've got to fill over the next two years, three years, 
um, just to, to maintain our growth strategy. Yep. So incredible opportunity. We've just got to, you know, with our people, with our 15, 16, people at university, just find your passion and go for it. I love that. I think there's probably not many chances you get. I feel like I'm applying for a job here and I get to, <laughs> I get to interview you to start it. <laughs> no, no it, it's a great business and it's a great industry and, you know, and, and Toowoomba is an incredible town full of great people. So um, I recommend it to anyone. Fantastic. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking some time out of your Monday morning to chat no, with us. Thanks very much. Cheers. Well, that's it from us for another week. Thank you for tuning in. And I would absolutely love to hear any feedback you've got on this episode. And recent episodes we've had, if you could do us a huge favor, that's rate and review it. Uh, It allows us to help get the podcast discovered by more people. And we can get more incredible stories of people behind our food and fiber system out there. Look after yourselves. Stay safe. Stay sane. And... Over the next few weeks, if you are at the Food and Fibre Conference for Ag Educators in Queensland, we'll see you there. Otherwise, I think that's about it for travel over the next couple of weeks. Or the Sydney Royal Easter Show. Look after yourselves and we may see you on the road. Cheers.